Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 3, Episode 49, brought to you by Lifetree at PainRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. My name is Rick. I'm author of Spiritual Grit and the Jesus-Centered Life and general editor of the Jesus-Centered Bible. By the way, just, you know, plugging it right from the beginning here, I can't think of a better Christmas gift than the Jesus-Centered Bible. We get I get feedback uh, all the time, even today. Uh, somebody sent something on to me or copied me or... To, uh, tagged me on Twitter, the person who just said how the Jesus-centered Bible has transformed his his devotional life. So can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, it helps you to orbit around Jesus, get closer to him, no matter where you're reading the Bible, and that leads to transformation. So, so um, yeah, and today we have Steph with us. Hey, everyone. There she is. I wasn't lying. Uh, that distinctive Steph voice. I am here. And we're, we're kicking off a month-long pursuit today on the heart of Advent. So Advent begins, it's the kind of on-ramp, obviously, in, into the Christmas holiday. It's really an on-ramp into light bursting into the darkness on this tiny little cave-like stable in Bethlehem, light like a lightning bolt, a blast into the world. That's what we're really headed towards, and our goal is not really to prepare ourselves for the birth of Jesus, which is often what you hear in church. We're preparing ourselves for the birth of Jesus. Newsflash! He's already born! (laughs) It always frustrates me when I hear that, because, yeah, he's already here. Don't act like he's not here. He's here um, already. So really our goal is to consider the reality of this season and find ways to draw near to Jesus, uh, kind of against all odds in the midst of this. And what I mean by that is... um, this is the most stressful season of the year. When it's supposed to be the most magical time of the year, actual reality is, for most people, it's the most stressful time of the year. So here's, here's a few stats um, and observations about holiday stress. So uh, we know that what we're supposed to feel about the holidays is what, Steph? What, what are we supposed to feel about the holidays? Uh, well, merry, jolly... I think there's Mary and Jolly. Mary and Jolly. Uh nostalgic for oh. I think you're the the wonder of childhood. Uh-huh. I often think that's a we like to remember what it felt like at Christmas time when we were young. Yeah. And there's a uh we'll get to this a bit later but there's a blogger who created a list of 100 things that you're supposed to do before Christmas, but it was fascinating to look at her on-ramp into that list of 100 things. She basically said, "I don't really get into the religious aspect of Christmas or, you know, any of that stuff. It's just a time to really feel warm and cozy and family-like, connected to family. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of overlaid expectations about, you know, sort of like the American dream on steroids at at the holiday time. Really, really happy, warm, affectionate family, or contrarily, dysfunctional families that are making fun of, you know, that still manage to come together on Christmas Eve and, you know, tuck away their challenges and find warmth and love in their hearts in a way that, you know, is sort of hallmark. 
Yeah, that's the Christmas spirit. There's also, I think, a lot of pressure for it to be a very romantic time of year. So lots of, I started hearing my first engagement ring advertisements the other day. I think it's a very big time of proposals and weddings and And the song tells us romance. The song tells us it's the most wonderful time Mm -hmm. of the year. So that sounds great, except what if it's not the most wonderful time of the year? Then there's something wrong with you. So here's some stats to kind of bring us back into reality. Some of these are stunning. 45% of Americans would prefer to skip Christmas, (laughs) according to a survey from... uh, Think Finance that was uh, covered on NBC News, nearly a quarter of Americans, a quarter of Americans, report feeling extreme stress at holiday time. According to a poll by the American Psychological Association, almost two-thirds of people feel stressed because of a lack of time or a lack of money, and half feel stressed about the pressure to give or get gifts. And uh, it's interesting that the symptoms of this sort of holiday stress uh, manifest as as a, a long, disturbing list here. <laughs> so here we go. Headaches, sleep disturbances, fatigue, exhaustion, difficulty concentrating, short temper, upset stomach, low job satisfaction and morale, aching muscles, including lower back pain, loss of appetite, changes in behavior while at work, and a decline in productivity and work performance. So I guess what we're saying here is the uh, most wonderful time of the year is like cancer. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There's so many of these byproducts, and there's this tension that's created because it's not supposed to be like that. We know it's supposed to be magical. So what if it's not magical, and then we feel shame, really, like, I'm not doing it right, mm-hmm. or maybe next year I'll do it right, but this year, this year was an aberration. Well, actually, every year is an aberration. <laughs> every year is like this, and I'm just looking forward to next year. So if you can't really find the Christmas of your dreams— if you're overwhelmed by stress, what do you do? So I think the, even the concept of that dream delivers a low level of stress to us. Like it's something we're supposed to feel or work our way toward, but it really is unattainable. And that's a kind of a hopeless feeling. It's like trying to climb up a sand dune. I got to get to the top, but I just keep sliding back down. So today we're going to slow down and pay better attention to why holiday stress builds up so much in us. And the reason we're talking about this is because this is is the on-ramp to a, a really what was meant to be a, a time of contemplative joy, to kind of savor, like having a birthday party for a month, savoring the nature and uh, the essence of a person, and really enjoying who that person is. And we find that because of the stress and all of the uh, filled up margins of our life during this time, that that's the last thing that actually happens in our life. So, you know, Steph, Steph and I were talking the, uh, yesterday about some of the, the factors that, that flow into this, the kind of the cascading factors that flow in. So just to kind of button this up, let's, let's talk about some of those things. Because after we brainstormed these things, I felt sobered. I thought, <laughs> wow, this is so true, but I never thought about all these things together at the same time. So so, Steph, why don't you just go sure. through the, the the things that we thought up? Sure. It's it's like life only on steroids. So we, <laughs> yeah. we spend more money than we normally do, which is significantly stressful for a lot of people. It's an unhealthy time of year, which I think is a combination of 
we have we have a lot of traditional holiday foods that are have more fat and they are heavier and they have a lot more sugar than what we typically eat during the course of the year. And this is stressful for people because they're either eating it and they're feeling guilty about it or they're not eating it and they're using lots of extra dil- discipline and willpower to do that. And that's stressful. Um, we don't go outside as much because it's winter and the time has changed and the days are short. And so we're not as active as we normally are. Uh, we have a lot more contact with our family members, which whether you... There's a mixed bag. Yeah, whether you lo- love your family and you you really cherish time with them or you have a hard time with your family, it's still, there's just a lot of events that fall outside of our normal schedule and those can create stress. Uh, we have more social commitments, um, concerts and parties and traditions that we follow we have a lot of decisions and preparations, which, which Rick alluded to. There's a kind of a hilarious list that we'll show some highlights from about preparations for Christmas. And think about just the decisions that you have to make. I mean, we make a lot of decisions every day anyway, but now you have this whole other layer of decisions. It's true. That, you know, like my wife and I every night are having decision conversations about gifts, not just for our kids, mm-hmm. but for our friends and and parties we'll go to or not go to, and activities we'll do or not do. Yeah. So many more decisions. Yeah, it's true. Um, we Mental health is a definitely a, a heightened arena for attention this time of year. People struggle more with loneliness, I think, because we have, again, family and maybe experiences from our past. People are triggered a lot more. They struggle with depression more, ironically, so the merry time of year and Depression and anxiety are higher during this time of year. And you pointed out stuff too, which I thought was important that I'd forgotten about, is that the days are that the nights are longer mm-hmm. and and the days are darker, and that just that lack of light. It's it's funny physiologically, it's, it, it yeah. can cause an impact. It's ironic. I started off by saying Advent is the, is uh, the on ramp into light entering the darkness, but it happens at a time when the darkness is overtaking the light. Uh, that's kind of poetic, and actually, that that we celebrate Christmas at the darkest time of the year. Um, yeah, yeah, we need light, and actually, biologically, we need light. And a lot of people struggle just on a baseline uh, with depression and sadness, just because they're not getting enough mm-hmm. light. Yeah. <laughs> so this all produces this tension between the reality we experience and the ideal we're supposed to be manufacturing somehow what I would call the shoulds or the supposed tos of the, the holiday season. Um, it's kind of like, I, I compare this to like looking at other people's Facebook posts and feeling like, oh, my my life is kind of bland compared to these people who always seem to be having a happy time and doing adventurous and exciting things. The holidays is kind of like that. Oh, um, if I watch a car commercial, I see how people are supposed to feel during the holidays especially after they've just bought a brand new car with money they got from somewhere. (laughs) But I don't feel that way, and I have an 18-year-old car. (laughs) So how can I live up to the ideals and expectations of what these holiday things should be? Um, And I, I think we're saturated with these messages. We have no idea how much this is surrounding us. I just mentioned car ads, but pretty much any holiday ad is telling you how you're supposed to feel at the holiday time. And then let's get to this mm-hmm. Christmas to-do list stuff that you that you found. I just found this uh, uh, fascinating. I, let me just read the intro that she <laughs> wrote to this. She said, there are a million things to do before the holidays arrive, 
So I one thought I million. one million. She things narrowed to it do. down to one hundred. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing feat of editorial cutting. Yeah, right that's there. right. So she says, I, "So I thought I'd share a printable Christmas checklist to help get you organized. Mm-hmm. No use leaving any, everything to the last minute and then rushing through the holidays <laughs> with anxiety instead of joy. This will help spread things out into bite-sized portions. And those things are stuff." <laughs> So one month before, there's a long list that includes things like decorating your foyer, um, making sure your shovel is in good condition. I love how you said foyer. Foyer. Are you from Canada? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Planting your amaryllis and paper white bulbs. What? Yep. What does that mean exactly? Those are special flowering bulbs for this time of year. Oh, thank God that says to do that one month before. Because how could I possibly scramble on Christmas Eve to get my bulbs planted? <laughs> Notably, several weeks before you even buy your gifts, you're supposed to scout out a good hiding spot for them. What? You're supposed to get oh. hiding spot for your gifts. Oh, you scout out you the scout hiding out. spot before you Two buy your gifts. before, you need to scout out the hiding spot. Kids, I, <laughs> I need you to go to a friend's house. Mom and I need to scout tonight. Um... You create photo ornaments for grandparents. Okay. Which, you know, create a gift receipt list so as to not forget everyone. Um, you, said course, something, you said something to me yesterday about bath towels. Yes. Is that, I think that's like the first I one on the list. I can't remember. It? I think it's the oh, first one on the yes, list, Yes, it, it is. Decorate your powder room with holiday towels, candles, and your soap dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry for all of you who do that. Because it's it's not that 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 isn't fun when you go in, when you're a guest and you go into somebody's bathroom and it's Christmas themed. To the credit of this blogger, I think maybe hope I'm hoping that maybe she doesn't do every single one of these things before Christmas, but she's just sort of creating a list of ideas. But if you approached it as an actual checklist, then you would find yourself in quite a state of anxiety, stress, stress at on every single checklist section, you are supposed to clean everything and everything is in (laughs) all capital letters. (laughs) Two weeks before you're also really supposed to pay attention to the inside of your oven. Which (laughs) I said this before, Steph, if you have absolutely no margin, that's the time to clean your oven. (laughs) I I, I don't even understand that. So that, so that all of the things that you're baking Mm -hmm. that you have no time to bake won't smell a bit charred. Mm-hmm. That's why you clean the oven. That's I why guess. you clean it, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Also, buy and or make you've been elfed gifts for the neighborhood kids. Oh my gosh. As if gifting for your own immediate family isn't stressful enough. I not only can't not disappoint my own kids, but now I have the added burden of not disappointing the neighbor kids I too. With <laughs> I do love this is a practical type. One week before, make sure you have enough toilet paper. Okay. It's key. Yeah, well, that's actually a, that's, a, that's a permanent goal in our household. <laughs> it's not just a holiday goal. <laughs> well, you know, we're we're laughing about this, but you know, this list if you if you start to read this, it's it's either you laugh at it or you ingest it and feel terrible. Like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And obviously, it, maybe she intended this to be a pick and choose smorgasbord list, but it just feels like when Jesus said to the Pharisees, "Hey, you tie up heavy burdens on people's backs, and you and you and you don't lift a finger yourself to help with them. I think about lists like this. Yeah, you—that's a bunch of burden on the back. Mm-hmm. And and can any person really? Can the author of this even do all these things? And probably not. I mean, like I said, she she probably created this as a, a checklist. But I do think 
that most of us can relate to feeling pressure from the, from the traditions we've created for ourselves. Oh, that's this true. This time of year, there's a lot of pressure to do the thing, to do all the things, right? I mean, I have my list, things that we do every year. We decorate in a certain way. We go eat at s- specific restaurants. We attend a certain holiday events. We, you know, and from year to year, you feel a lot of pressure to do what you have done in the past and keep the traditions. And it feels like it's not okay sometimes to say, well, we're not going to do that this year. Yeah. And, you know, I think we kind of, I think we worry a little bit like, well, what if, what if that was the moment that the magic was going to happen and I decided not to do it? Oh yeah. Fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, here, here's, here's an interesting thought. Jesus is no stranger to stress. In fact, (laughs) It's hard to read any encounter Jesus had that didn't have stress somewhere as part of that encounter. He often injected himself into stressful situations. He engaged people in the middle of their stress all the time, and he actually created stress in people for his redemptive purposes. I mean, stress is not a a totally bad thing. Jesus certainly did create stress in people for his own purposes. So stress was a major theme in what Jesus did. Uh, It surrounded him. And so what we're going to do is explore uh, uh, just a handful of encounters Jesus had with people in stress, and we're going to slow down to pay attention to how and why he carried himself. And the first one is um, sort of a classic one. Mm. I love this. It's when Jesus visits Mary and Martha. It's, you know, I actually, I'm just going to interject. This is like a Christmas story. Like when we were talking about it, I mean, it could almost be like a perfect Christmas story. Yeah, there you go. It's a great setup for it. This occurs in, in Luke 10. It's where it's recorded, Luke 10, 38 through 42. Here's how it goes. And as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, it doesn't, seem un- doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. The Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're so worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it, and it won't be taken away from her. So here we have this story of these two women who are welcoming a very honored guest into their home. And I, I don't know about you, but we, we have guests in our home every week because we have a small group every week, and there is a mad scramble every Tuesday to try to make sure everything's ready. Like this last Tuesday night, we were running behind um, for a variety of reasons, and we were just scrambling the whole time. And we had one kid show up 15 minutes early, and as he's walking up to the door, I'm like grumbling underneath, kid, show up on time, <laughs> not 15 minutes early. Our kitchen's a mess. Things aren't ready. So we're scrambling around. And I'm trying to pay attention to this kid, almost to feign my attention when I'm trying to get all these details set up. It's stressful. And here's Mar- Martha trying to get everything prepared and ready because she wants to give Jesus a good gift, a wonderful big meal. And there's her dang sister, just sitting there not helping at all with the obvious things that have to be done. It's an affront, really, is what Martha's saying. And and instead of just complaining to her sister, which she thinks, I think, well, that's not going to do anything. I complain to her all the time. Mm-hmm. She asked Jesus 
to do something about it. And Jesus's response is, Martha, yeah, man, you're, you're, woman, you're worried and upset over all these details. He's saying that these details don't matter. Is he saying dinner doesn't matter? Um, no, but he is saying there's a different uh, perspective on all of this. And so, so, Steph, what are some things that you see in Jesus' response to this, and maybe uh, responding to what's going on in Martha inside? Well, I just, like I said, this story is so relatable for the Christmas season, because we are often entertaining guests and holiday. There's preparation, there's the anxiety of the details. Um, and I think we talk about this a lot, but it bears repeating, because we always need the reminder which is it's easy to get sucked into the details. And Jesus is one of the most reliable um, influences in our life to give us perspective about how the degree to which those details really matter. And I think that is a key role that he plays for us, especially this time of year, because there are a whole lot of things that seem important. They seem like they matter. And his voice, as it is with Martha, is one of the most reliable voices to say and discern this is what's really important and these other things that you're worried about are not that important and if ever there was a time to hear that message it's this time of year yeah he's really saying hey martha take a big deep breath Mm -hmm. just take a big deep breath yeah because isn't that what happens that we get so focused on the stress of the details and trying to get everything done that it overtakes us we simply lose perspective and we need to stop and just take a big deep breath and remember, I, I, my pastor this last Sunday gave a great illustration that I, I, I loved this illustration. He talked about uh, binoculars and how you can look in one side or the other of the binoculars, and if you look through the small side of the binoculars, everything you see is magnified. And if you look through the big end of the binoculars, everything is smaller. And he's actually advocating to look through the big end of the binoculars in life to not let everything get magnified outside of its reality. In fact, if you look through the big end of the binoculars, you're really acknowledging, hey, God's mm-hmm. big and that thing isn't. Um, and that's really hard for us to remember to do when we're caught up in the stress of the details we're trying to capture. And Jesus is really saying to Martha, hey, Martha, just take a big deep breath, look through the big end of the binoculars right now. This is a small thing and there's a bigger thing going on here. And I think sometimes we chastise ourselves a little bit for being like Martha, but the truth is that Jesus isn't just reminding her, he's giving her permission. He's giving Mary permission to not get so caught up. And I think sometimes that's what we need. It's not so much that we need a reminder. We almost need somebody to say, hey, this is okay. I give you permission to do this. Um, Because I think we feel a lot of pressure from ourselves, but also external pressure from family members and kids and schedules. And um, I, I think... If ever, again, this is just a great time to invite the Holy Spirit to give you permission. And it's permission to be messy and imperfect. Mm-hmm. And, and permission to say no, permission to bow out, um, so that it's the, the responsibility is not squarely on your shoulders to have the willpower to be Mary instead of Martha. It's just to listen for those times when Jesus is saying, hey, it's okay to sit down and just not prepare all the details. And maybe the permission is also permission to be to to be mediocre in mm. the area of details. Yeah. But be great about listening. Be great about what Aunt Mary's doing right mm. now. She's taking this moment. This is a this is just a moment. I'm not I don't live in there. Jesus is basically saying I don't I'm not going to live here. I'm just here for a short time in your home. 
So Mary has taken that short time in your home, and she's sort of maximizing it. She's just listening to me. Um, so be, you have permission, Martha, to be mediocre in your, mm-hmm. the meal you're, you're the preparing. Hook. Yeah, you're off the hook. It's good. Later on, uh, these same people are involved in another incredibly stressful situation. When Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus is sick, and they ask for Jesus to come and heal him, and Jesus purposely delays coming so that Lazarus will die, I said Jesus injects stress into people's lives. Here's a perfect example of, wow, colossal stress in people's lives. Their brother dies because Jesus delays, and once he gets to Bethany um, and has been told that that Lazarus is already dead, um, Martha gets word that he's that he's almost there, and so she comes out to meet him, and Martha says, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask, and Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he'll rise when everyone else rises at the last day, and Jesus tells her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she says, yes, Lord, I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. So there she's left hanging because her brother is definitely dead, and Jesus is responding to her in a way that's a bit mystical. He's saying, "Um, yeah, I am life. To be with me is to experience and taste life. And then Mary, obviously, isn't there. She does not run out to meet Jesus. The implication is she's so hurt and so broken, she wants nothing to do with him, because he could have come and he didn't. Talk about stress. And eventually, when Mary finally does come out, she falls at his feet and says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus sees her weeping and sees the other people wailing with her, and a deep anger welled up up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And then he goes on to raise Lazarus from the dead. So here we have people in tremendous stress because of a great loss, and Jesus' response is what? What what do you see in him here, Steph? Well, first of all, I think he's physically present, so his presence is there. So he is a little cryptic, um, which can be frustrating. And I, (laughs) you know, I know that he certainly, Mary is pleading to him and not understanding, um, but he's, he's there. And I think that that's first and foremost kind of a key, which is that in the midst of stressful situations, in ones that involve grief and sadness and trauma, his presence is there. Um, And at times, maybe it doesn't feel like it, but his, his spirit's with us. So I think that's first and foremost. Um, And I think that he's empathetic. He he emotionally feels the stress and the grief that we're going through. You know, he was upset when Mary came out and people were wailing and he was moved into an emotional space. And I think he's not a stoic person when it comes to our stress. It's not like we're putting, you know, putting ourselves at his feet and sharing from our hearts what's hard and what what we're feeling, and he's detached. He emotionally connects and empathizes, and I think that's a great that's a great gift of a savior. You know, there's a lot of gods, lowercase g, in the world who are not that way, and he was that way and is that way. Yeah, and and it's interesting what you're saying again is he's he's giving permission, and he's even giving permission by how he responds. He's moved, and and he weeps himself. 
and he's he's really giving permission for Mary and Martha to also weep. He understands that, and we'll talk uh, in our last little segment here about some things that that are pragmatic things that that can help you live in a more settled place of pursuing Jesus in the midst of all this stress. How how can you do that without adding more burden to you already? So we'll talk a little bit about what that might look like, even emotionally. But I love how there's an emotional rawness going on here, and we have permission to let it out. Mm-hmm. He, he's giving us an, a portal to let it all out. So at Christmas, you don't have to you know, bury it underneath a mask of merriment. You can yeah. actually authentically express and share how you're feeling, and whatever that may be. If it's merriment, great. But if it's not, that's okay, too. Here's an example of what you might call workplace stress, (laughs) an extreme example. This is the example of Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate. So here's Pilate, uh, a leader and a ruler, who's really between a rock and a hard place, because he's handed over this guy, Jesus, and there's a lot of movement that uh, the Pharisees want him dead, but they want Pilate to order that death. They want the Roman government to execute him. So Pilate has to make this decision, and um, here in Matthew 27, starting in verse 11, there's this little workplace stress moment for Pilate. (laughs) Now Jesus is standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, and he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they're bringing against you, Pilate demanded? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas, and as the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Messiah? And you know the story. The crowd calls out for Barabbas. Pilate goes back and forth with them, trying to save Jesus' life. Mm. He really, really doesn't want to execute this guy. Something about him is different, and Pilate doesn't want to be a part of this. But the crowd sort of leverages him into a, into a corner, and in the end, Pilate says, all right, you can have him, crucify him. So here we have uh, a lot of workplace stress. Here's a guy that, <laughs> that, that is, is, he has a, a person's life in his hands, mm and he's being pressured into executing him when he doesn't fully believe in it. And Jesus says one thing, and he shuts up the rest of the time. He says, in response to, are you the king of the Jews, he just says, you've said it. So what do you take from this, Steph, in Jesus' response? what He's he's not really helping Pilate out with his stress mm-hmm. here. <laughs> no. Well, I think that, like Pilate, whether we're in the workplace or not, I think that we encounter a lot of situations that want to pressure us into decisions that maybe are incongruent with what we think. Um, we maybe feel pressure internally to be different than what we are, or we're perfectionists and we're, we're driving ourselves, or we're comparing a lot. So there's a lot of these, you know, for, for Pilate, he is caught between the will of the people. And I'm sure in his mind, he, you know, he's a, a politician during this time, right? He, so he's he's trying to make the people happy. I'm sure he's got personal concerns about his status in the community and what's going to happen. And um, he's influenced by what are people going to think of me? What are people going to think about my decision? And I think Jesus is not interested in helping us to 
feel comfortable when we are encountering fear of man and pressure to conform or pressure to um, capitulate to the whims of other people, outsiders, culture. He just it, he doesn't play along well with that. Yeah, you know, one thing I take away from this is that Jesus uh, will will use the stress that is building up in your life for his own purposes. He may not uh, reduce it or remove it. He may just simply use it. Mm -hmm. He has done that often in my life where my stress finally boils over, and it's in that moment he says, Rick, 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 it's time to pay attention to your soul. I let you get to this point of boiling over so that you would wake up and recognize what's going on inside and that it's boiling over. It's time for a reset, and it's only you. Uh, it's only when we get to these places where it boils over that we do get to a reset. Um, uh, often, so he may let the stress boil over. Mm -hmm. When it does, take advantage of that opportunity. Get, give yourself grace. Reapproach him. Say something like, "Jesus, I need a reset." Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I need to be reoriented in the midst of this. This all of this stuff just boiled over me. What's going on in me? Can you speak into where I'm at right now? And then you listen, and then you 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 go where he where he wants you to go. That's an opportunity. And uh, his silence sometimes is because he actually wants that to boil over and into something. Well, I think Christmas is an easy time to care a lot about what other people think, which is sort of the predicament Pilot yeah. is in right now. Yeah, that's good. And I think a lot of the stress that we experience is because we're trying to, we care what other people think and we're really trying to make them happy. And we want we want Jesus to comfort us and enable us to do that, but he's not much of an enabler when it comes to that. <laughs> so <laughs> He's not an enabler at all. <laughs> he's really just not. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think this is a great time to reflect on in what areas am I driven by a sense of trying to please others and make other people happy when um, maybe that's not the best uh, filter for my yeah. decisions? And I think that's a great observation, too, that Jesus has no intention on enabling your stress. Mm -hmm. If what you do is come to him and say, can you just help me to get all of this done? Um, can you help me with my marginless life to make it even more marginless. He's going to say no. He's stubbornly, you know, un uncontrollable. That <laughs> That's way. right. He's a rebel. <laughs> One last little vignette. You might call this parent stress. This is from Luke chapter 2. It's um, when uh, Jesus is 12 years old, starting in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, and when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their uh, relatives and friends, and when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious uh, teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. This probably meant his parents were furious. Um, <laughs> son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with, with them, and he was obedient to them. And his mother uh, stored all these things in her heart. So here we have... <laughs> 
<laughs> like a massive I'm, three day stress of uh, parents. I'm struggling to figure out how to how to. I mean, if if this happened today, you you would legitimately be stressed. I'd be freaking out. Yeah, and it, and if you know Jesus' response in this does seem a bit sort of otherworldly. Yeah. You know, I mean, if your nine year old was like, "Well, mom, obviously I was doing this thing that God's called me to do," you would still be. Uh, yeah, I don't know it's, if I have a lot of real there, useful tips for this one. There's curi- <laughs> it's curiously reminds me of his response to Martha, because Martha is in the midst of tremendous stress, and here Jesus' parents are in the midst of tremendous st- stress, and he's kind of oblivious a little bit to it. He's like, what? Why did you have to even search? Why wouldn't you know that I would be here? It sounds almost impertinent when you first hear it, but he's really kind of saying, um, hey, look at the bigger picture. Like, um, if you understood who I am, then why would you be afraid that I was gone for three days? Um, wouldn't you know that um, nothing's going to happen to me? He had that assumption, but then right after this, it says he goes home with his parents and he's obedient to them. So it doesn't leave the impression that he's just rebellious. He's legitimately saying, hey, uh, uh I have a different perspective on this, and that's kind of what he says to Martha, too. Yeah. Martha, he's inviting Martha to have a different perspective on her stress, and here Jesus, as a 12-year-old, is inviting his parents to have a different perspective on their stress, too. I don't know if his answer created more stress. It probably (laughs) did in the short term. But it's interesting that that Jesus' response to stress comes from more of an eternal perspective, it's really hard for Jesus to overblow small things, even a thing like this, being separated from his parents for three days. It's really hard for him to put too much weight on these things because he sees things from a much broader, more eternal perspective, and for his reality, this is not that big of a deal. And that's also in a way that he's, he's going to respond to us in the midst of our stress. He's going to try to help us understand what a big deal is and what a big deal isn't, mm-hmm. I think, in the midst of our stuff. So, yeah, And I honestly don't really think we're quite capable of doing this on our own. I mean, you really, you really need someone with an eternal <clears throat> perspective to share the eternal perspective, because we're we're very fixed right. in our space-time yep. continuum. You so know, we're not it's talk- hard to get out of that. We're not talking about working this up no. in us. We're, at, we're really talking about allowing Jesus to guide, direct, influence, and even reprimand us, mm-hmm. I guess, in a way in the midst of our stuff, to, to really let him be our guide through this. So we have a few things here uh, as we close to, to throw out to you that, that might help to, to respond to Jesus and to reach for what he has for you in the midst of this holiday stress. One thing that, that the first thing I'll mention is, I, I do this a lot already, but I, I especially try to do it during this time, guarantee yourself some quiet space somehow, some way. So I do this in a variety of ways. We have an unfinished basement. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about this before. I go down to the basement where there's nobody, and I leave the lights off. I keep it dark, and I sit on a ratty old couch. And I and we, you know, in the darkness, you can feel more alone because you're not aware of the stuff around you. So you, it's purposeful isolation. So I just go down to my basement, and this is sometimes just for like three minutes or four minutes. I breathe for a minute, I tell Jesus what I'm feeling and what I'm worried about and what I'm struggling with, and I get it out, and then I just sit, and I let him—this is going to sound cliched, but I let him minister to me. I just let him love me. 
in the midst of that. So, but it has to be guaranteed quiet space. I'm also, I just found out I can, I'm going to take advantage of a cancellation at this monastery that I go to write all my books at. Um, they have a cancellation in the middle of December. I'm going to go there for two nights. It's guaranteed silence for me when I go to this place. There's nobody around, no Wi-Fi. I know I'm going to be alone, and it's going to give me a chance to breathe again. Now, that's a, a more extensive version of this, mm-hmm. but find a way to guarantee, guarantee yourself some quiet space, even if you have to lock the bathroom door. When you do that, I'm just telling you, turn the light off. <laughs> turn the light off. What, Steph, what about, you've, you've mentioned uh, some physical stress relief. Why don't you talk about mm, that? So I'm a big nature person, um, and I like to move a lot. So for me, uh, I get outside. And it doesn't matter if it's the middle of winter. I pack layers and I take walks outside. I love the cold air. Um, I love feeling the fresh air. So that's just a natural uh, stress relief. And I think one that people dismiss this time of year, it's a little harder to motivate yourself to get out there when it's cold. But once you do, man, it's so refreshing. And if you have family that you're with, suggest to them, hey, let's all go for a walk, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because we overeat at this time. It feels good to go outside and walk a little bit after you eat. It really does. And when you put yourself in creation, you're surrounding yourself with the fingerprints of God. We know this because Paul in Romans 1 said, all of creation is infused with God's personality, so get outside somehow in nature and let that minister to you in the midst of your stress. It'll be you'll be amazed the impact it has on the stress rhythms in, of your life. Um, you also mentioned that you you have an author that you love whose one of his ideas is to honor Francis of Assisi during the holiday time and go outside and scatter seeds for birds. What a great idea mm-hmm. to just go where there's wildlife and feed the ducks uh, mm-hmm. for a little bit. And you, you mentioned a couple of books, Steph, that mm-hmm. uh, I thought were good. Why don't you talk about those for a second? So one is called The $100 Holiday, <laughs> and that, that was the book that had the idea about scattering seeds. Um, that The book was written kind of in the spirit of simplifying the holiday season and Christmas traditions. Um, and it, he arbitrarily picked $100 as kind of their, their family's gift spending limit for everyone. Uh, but it, it's more just sort of an overarching principle that you can apply and kind of customize to your life and your family. But it's a great, it's a little small book. It's a great read if you're interested in simplifying your holiday traditions. Uh, the other one's called Chasing Slow by Erin Lochner. She's a Christian writer, and she has a, a I think, just an excellent way of living contemplatively in a very busy world. She's younger, so she's kind of countercultural in the way that she uh, is just interacts with her time and her family. And um, she's on social media. She does a lot of speaking, and she has a book called Chasing Slow. So uh, two, two good inspirations if you're wanting just something to, to read or think about to inspire you uh, if slowing down and simplifying is a goal. So last three sort of organic, simple things. One is to lower the lighting in your home. Turn off some lights, Turn on, uh, light up some candles. Uh, turn, turn down the light. Um, it just has a calming effect, and it facilitates breathing <laughs> a little more, facilitates quiet a little more. Turn off the bright lights in your house, at least for a stretch, and turn on some softer lighting. Uh, I have already mentioned another one, um, just let your emotion out with Jesus. 
I, I uh, let me just say it this bluntly: go cry for a while, <laughs> find a place where you can be alone, let it out, get what's in the darkness out into the light. Uh, Jesus tells us that this is a healthy practice for life. Get everything that's in the darkness out into the light. So let it all out. Let that emotion out. Go cry somewhere. What, maybe you'll do it on your walk outside, or maybe you'll do it on a ratty couch in your unfinished basement, but just let the tears come. And the last thing is tell a friend your story. Uh, 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 make time to meet with a friend or two during this time, and just be honest about your story and what's going on. Again, getting the dark things out into the light helps relieve them of their power to stress you in some ways. A lot of the stress that we that we have that gets out of control because we keep it inside and we don't let it out. So there you have it, gang. Um, there's a few things to think about, and uh, we do hope and pray that uh, your experience of Jesus, that you have these moments during this time where you cherish him, where you savor him. Maybe they're the unexpected moments. Maybe they're in those moments when you take four minutes away just to be quiet alone. Just say to yourself, it's okay that it's only four minutes. I'm savoring him right now, and it's worth it. So a few things to think about. Thanks for listening, gang. Remember, you can find out more information, but in further detail, on PainRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. You'll find our podcast section in Season 3, Episode 49, um, look for the links that Adam puts up there for you that are helpful links during this time, and you can find the things we've talked about on the podcast today there with those links. Again, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree. Subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts, and we'll talk again later.